everyone, I hope you're all doing so well and welcome back to the Criminal Makeup Podcast. Each episode we dive into the minds of some of the worst criminals in history and today we are going to be talking about the case of Robert Bardo. So Robert Bardo was a very troubled individual. From a very young age, lots of things went wrong in his life and this drove him into living in his own little fantasy world. And in this fantasy world, Robert started to become obsessed and I truly mean obsessed with people that he saw on his TV screen. One of these people, was a young actress called Rebecca Schaefer. Rebecca was tipped to become the next big thing in Hollywood. She was this sweet young girl playing a really charming character on a big TV show and Robert Bardo was sat at home watching this show and he became absolutely infatuated with her. He thought that her character was speaking directly to him. He couldn't separate fiction from reality and he thought that she wanted him back. Robert was literally the definition of a crazed fan. He would not rest until Rebecca was his and his alone. This obsession quickly started to spiral out of control and unfortunately this led to some very terrible consequences and that is what we're going to be talking about today. So let's jump in. Robert John Bardo was born on the 2nd of January, 1970, making him a Capricorn. His dad was an officer in the US Air Force. And when he was based in Japan, this is when his dad met his mom. Now, Robert was the youngest of seven children. So pretty big family. And due to his dad's job in the Air Force, the family did move around a lot, which is obviously just a lot of disruption, kind of a lot of stress. However, the family did settle down in one place. And this is when Robert was 13 years old and they settled in Tucson, Arizona. But as well as the disruption to Robert's childhood moving around a lot, it is also reported that he suffered quite a lot of abuse. And this abuse was from his own It is reported that his dad was an alcoholic and his mom was quite a paranoid person and she was very overbearing. And Robert was also physically and verbally bullied, abused, whatever you want to say, by his older brothers. Robert's brothers on some occasions would make Robert drink his own urine, which I just don't get. Like, how does anyone get enjoyment out of that? I know it's a control thing. I know people get off and control and making someone do that is like the ultimate control, but people are just sick. And Robert's brothers also used to make Robert shoplift for them as well. Overall, Robert's brothers, especially not good people. And his parents, I don't know the abuse and the extent that he went through when it came to his parents, but let's just say his parents didn't really pay him any attention. Even though his brothers were treating him like this, his parents kind of just looked the other way. And Robert was crying out for help. When Robert was at school, he wrote a letter of complaint about his parents and handed it to a teacher. In the letter he wrote, this house is hell, I can't handle it anymore, please help fast. And Robert was also reported to be quite a nuisance in the community. I don't think it was anything that bad, but there were some times where he would just burst into his neighbor's garden and start kind of shouting and raging. So I suppose that is a bit of a nuisance. Robert was also seen quite often 
hanging from the roof of his house. And um, I mean, literally just hanging like with his hands and he would just swing back and forth. I don't know. It just seems a bit weird behavior to me. It doesn't seem like a nuisance. I don't know. I just see him as a kid crying out for help. He just seems very lonely to me. So Robert was definitely seen by others as a quote, strange child, but Robert's school life wasn't that much better either. Although Robert achieved very good grades, he was a bit of a loner in school. He didn't really have any friends. It's said that Robert was just incapable of maintaining relationships, but not only were the teachers concerned about Robert because he was a little bit of a loner and he didn't have any friends, they were also becoming concerned about his behavior. You should definitely know that Robert has a thing about letters. He loves to write letters. And we'll see this going through the case. And even when he was in school, he loved writing letters. And sometimes he was writing up to three letters a day to certain teachers. And when you first hear that, you may just think, oh, like he's lonely, like he just wants someone to talk to. But no, the letters were pretty disturbing. In the letters, he would pretend to be movie characters from like Scarface, Dirty Harry, James Bond. And in the letters, Robert expressed a fantasy about killing others. And sometimes the object of his fantasy about killing others included the teachers themselves. And obviously this is very concerning. I mean, imagine you're a teacher a student has sent you a letter and in that letter, this student is having a fantasy about killing you. I mean, I'm sorry, I think we would all be concerned. And teachers described Robert as a ticking time bomb. The teachers did try to do something for Robert. They wrote to Robert's parents expressing their concerns, expressing that they think that Robert needs help. They think that he needs psychiatric intervention, but Robert's parents didn't listen. They were just like, eh, he's okay. He doesn't need any help. They refused to enroll Robert in any kind of counseling, therapy, anything like that. They refused. They were claiming that there was absolutely nothing wrong with him, which is just a load of crap. I mean, I'm sorry. He's a ticking time bomb. He's expressing fantasies about killing people. So yeah, Robert is very troubled. He's having a very hard time at home and he's also having a very tough time at school as well. However, things would only escalate from there because Robert having no one to really talk to, he couldn't talk to his parents, he couldn't really talk to his siblings and he had no friends at school, he retreated into his own little fantasy world. He would spend hours, hours upon hours locked in his bedroom. He would be sat in front of the TV most of the time and he was absolutely fascinated by the actors on the screen. Robert felt like the actors that he was seeing were his friends. He used to think that the actors were actually talking to him. And this is pretty much where Robert's obsession with celebrities like actors on his TV started. The first major target of Robert's obsession was when Robert was 13 years old, when he saw a young girl on TV called Samantha 
Reed Smith. Now, Samantha was only 10 years old. She had recently become famous after campaigning against the Cold War, and she kind of blew up out of nowhere. She was on TV absolutely everywhere. Would you welcome Samantha Smith? She was giving her opinions left, right, and center. She was doing interviews on TV, in newspapers, magazines. She even started to host her own show on the Disney Channel. And when Robert saw her on TV, he quickly became infatuated. And Robert was convinced that they should be friends. They would be friends. They would be really good friends. So what did Robert do? he wrote her a letter. In the letter, he wrote how much he admired Samantha, how much he admired her work. And Robert did receive a postcard in response from Samantha, and he was over the moon. He was now even more convinced that the two of them had a connection. And this resulted in Robert forming a crush on Samantha, and he knew that he had to speak to her directly. He managed to track down Samantha's family's home phone number from one of the directories and he started phoning this number over and over and over again. Most of the time it was her parents that were answering the phone so they were kind of just saying to Robert like okay please stop phoning like we get it. But one time Samantha actually did answer the phone and Robert and Samantha had a short phone conversation which I feel so sorry for Samantha. Like that would have been so uncomfortable. But Robert was absolutely thrilled. Like he couldn't believe that he was actually speaking to Samantha. But after this time, Samantha didn't answer the phone again. And it just went back to her parents answering the phone. And her parents were just saying like, please stop phoning here. But Robert was not deterred by her parents. Robert actually thought that Samantha's parents were standing in the way of their relationship. So in response to this, Robert stole $140 from his house, jumped on a bus from Arizona to Maine. And Maine was where Samantha lived. And this was approximately 2,000 800 miles away. It, it's hard to find two places further away from each other, you know? It's absolutely crazy that he's 14 and he's going to these extreme lengths to track down Samantha. And obviously this is pretty scary. It's like, how can anyone deny that Robert has some issues? Like, how can anyone deny that at this point? The trip did take Robert several days, which I'm not surprised. And because it took him so long, his parents did figure out, okay, where is Robert? He's kind of missing. I think we should report him missing. And Robert, thankfully, was tracked down just in time. And I mean just in time because Robert was literally two blocks from Samantha's house. And when he was apprehended and returned to his parents, Robert was not happy at all. And on the return journey, Robert was repeatedly stabbing himself with a pen. What Robert has done is an extreme response for anyone, let alone a 14-year-old child. How can his parents continue to deny that there was anything wrong? And how can they continue to deny Robert of the help that he desperately needs? However, Robert's obsession with Samantha would come to an abrupt end because tragically in August of 1985, Samantha and her father 
died in a plane crash. And Robert was absolutely devastated by this news. And Robert actually felt responsible. He was blaming himself for this. And because Robert was blaming himself, this triggered a deep cycle of depression for Robert. Robert repeatedly threatened to end his own life and when he was aged 15, he was placed in foster care for a month. And I don't know any more details about the foster care. I'm really sorry. All I know next is that when he was in ninth grade, he did drop out of school and he became a janitor at a fast food restaurant. And again, at his job, he would spend most of his time isolated with pretty much no human contact. And Robert continued to spend all of his free time watching TV, becoming obsessed over various actors on the screen. And Robert had various crushes on certain female actors, people on TV, but nothing lived up to Samantha. However, that all changed in the summer of 1986 because Robert, who is now 16 years old, saw a TV advert for a new sitcom called My Sister Sam that was featuring an up-and-coming actress, Rebecca Schaefer. Now, Rebecca was born in November 1967 and she grew up in Eugene, Oregon. And Rebecca was absolutely adored by her parents. Rebecca was an only child and she had an extremely happy childhood. Rebecca absolutely excelled in school and she joined a talented and gifted program where she had dreams of becoming a doctor or a lawyer. However, Rebecca was often complimented on her natural beauty and at the the age of just 16, a talent agent asked Rebecca if she'd ever thought about modeling. However, the catch on modeling is that Rebecca would have to move to New York. Rebecca was never the kind of person that was worried about change or worried about big adventures like that. She wanted to do it. She was like, you know what? I would rather go for an adventure than regret something in life. And she pleaded with her parents like, please let me go. Let me try it out. Obviously her parents are a little bit apprehensive. I mean, their 16-year-old daughter moving to New York City, but they wanted their daughter to pursue everything that she wanted in life. So they agreed to let her go. And 16-year-old Rebecca found herself right smack bang in the middle of the glamorous, but also not so glamorous world of modeling. Rebecca was sharing a two bedroom apartment with five other models. And Rebecca dreamed about being on magazine covers, especially Seventeen magazine. But the competition for modeling was fierce. Now, Rebecca was five foot seven, which is not exactly short. However, we all know what the modeling world could be. This was not tall enough to be a model, especially in the high fashion world. And Rebecca's height often stood in the way of her finding work. So her agent one day was just like, you know what? I don't know if modeling is going to work out for you in the US. Have you ever thought about acting? And Rebecca was just like, um, I've been in a few school plays, but other than that, no. But her agent was like, you know what? Try it out. Give it a go. I think you'll be good at it. And even though Rebecca was unsure, she agreed. But once again, just the same as the modeling world, competition was fierce. However, she did find some minor success. She got a small role in a daytime soap. It's not like we know each other real well or anything. 
Annie, I mean, come on, would you get yourself together? I mean, aren't you liberated or anything? Liberated enough to tell you where you can get off, buddy. However, she was still struggling to get by. Bills were mounting, she couldn't pay them. She was desperate for work. Like she was desperate to get her break. And she even considered getting a waitress job just to pay her bills. But then she gets a call from her agent telling her that she's landed a lead role in a sitcom. And this was a new prime time TV show called My Sister Sam. And this is when 16 year old Robert first became aware of Rebecca. First saw the TV advert for My Sister Sam and he instantly became transfixed by Rebecca. And Rebecca, after she got the role in My Sister Sam, her career went through the roof. The spotlight was on her. She had gone from having just a small role in a daytime TV soap to having a lead role in a primetime TV sitcom. I mean, that was pretty much unheard of. So Rebecca, because she was a part of this sitcom now, she packed her bags from New York, moved to Hollywood to start filming My Sister Sam. Now, My Sister Sam is just like a typical 80s sitcom. Hey, I'm just doing what I really think is the best thing oh, for you. Don't say that. What? I'm only doing what's best for the child. <laughs> Brief summary of what the sitcom was about. Basically, two sisters were thrown together. They had to live together. They had to get on. Both sisters had completely different personalities and each episode, the sisters faced some sort of dilemma. And then at the end of the episode, everything was great and the sisters would make up and everything would be great. I'm Patty Russell. This is my sister, Sam. I just moved in. We haven't lived together since we were kids. I was raised by our aunt and uncle. Yeah, things sure have changed. I used to dress her. I can't wear this out in public. This makes up for the haircut you gave me when I was three. And Rebecca was playing the role of the younger sister who was 16 years old and the character's name was Patty. And Patty was just a real sweetheart. She was kind of like a girl next door. She was very charming. Her smile was infectious. She was the kind of character where it was impossible not to like her. And back to Robert, he would sit there at home eagerly awaiting every single episode of My Sister Sam. He would even buy TV guides to find out when all of the repeats were going to be playing. He would also tape every single episode and watch them over and over again. And he would also buy pretty much everything to do with the show as well. So any magazines, TV guides, anything that would even mention the TV show, My Sister Sam, Robert would buy. And it was Rebecca's character that he was absolutely in love with. He saw her as so sweet, so innocent. In Robert's mind, he knew that they had to be friends. And what did Robert do? He wrote Rebecca a letter. And in the letter, Robert told her how pretty she was, how happy she made him, how her character, Patty, would truly understand him. And in Robert's mind, Rebecca and Patty were the same person. He could not separate the two in his mind. And he was falling more and more in love with Rebecca every single episode. When I read this, I literally thought of that episode in Friends. I don't know what the episode is called, but you know when Joey gets that stalker who um, thinks that his character on The Days of Our Lives, Dr. Drake Ramore, is real, and she can't seem to separate Joey and Dr. Drake Ramore. She can't seem to separate the two. It is literally that episode, but in real life. I know I should have told you this a long time ago, but I am not Drake Ramore, okay? I'm not even a doctor. I'm an actor. I just pretend to be a doctor. Oh my God. 
Do the people at the hospital know about this? <laughs> and Rebecca's celebrity status was continuing to rise. As well as being on a primetime TV show, she was doing interviews in magazines, newspapers, on the TV. She went to film premieres and parties. She was getting snapped by paparazzi. She was even featured on the cover of Seventeen magazine. And that must have been like such a full circle moment for her because that was her dream. She even hosted CBS's coverage of the Thanksgiving parade. Happy Thanksgiving. I'm Rebecca Schaefer and real excited to be doing this parade. Like she was everywhere. She was on track for the next big thing in Hollywood. Like I wouldn't at this time class Rebecca as an A-lister, but she was on the road to that. And Robert taped everything. Every interview that she did on TV, every appearance, he taped CBS's coverage of Thanksgiving, like when she was hosting that, he taped everything. Every magazine that even mentioned Rebecca's name, he bought, if there was any pictures of Rebecca, he would cut them out, stick them on his bedroom wall. And then of course, Robert was continuing to write more and more letters to Rebecca. He would pour his heart out in these letters and he would say how much he related to her, how much he loved her, and Rebecca was receiving a lot of fan mail. Like she was a pretty big deal. Other crew members and other people that she was working with on the TV show were saying that's all great and everything, but do not reply to the fan mail. They was telling her, possibly from experience, you never know who you are responding to and you never know how they're going to take it. But Rebecca didn't see it that way. She was just so grateful and thankful. She wanted to reply to everyone. And in the beginning, she was handwriting responses to fans, but as she got bigger, the fan mail was coming in a lot more and she just couldn't respond herself anymore. So she hired a company to send out responses to her fan mail because she wanted to make sure that every everyone got a reply. And because this company was obviously not Rebecca, they were just sending out generic responses to everyone. So this company sent Robert Bardo a response to one of his letters. And the response that Robert received was, your letter was one of the nicest I received. And then it had Rebecca's signature. And there was also a photo of Rebecca in there. And of course, Robert took this as all my God, she knows who I am. She feels the same as me. She said that my letter was one of the nicest she'd received. She definitely cares about me. And obviously Robert didn't realize that it was just a generic template. Robert thought that he was special and he thought that this response proved that Rebecca felt the same. And he was now convinced that he had to meet Rebecca in person. And at this point, Rebecca was living in her own apartment in LA and she was living in an area that a lot of up and coming people in the entertainment industry lived. One of her neighbors was an aspiring actor. He hadn't really done much. He'd been an extra in a couple of TV shows, just some small roles. And he was also one of the faces of Pringles. He was in a lot of Pringles adverts and that was none other than Brad Pitt. <laughs> Yes, Brad Pitt. 
the Brad Pitt. And I just thought that that was really funny. That obviously doesn't add anything to the story. I just thought that that was really funny that she was neighbors with Brad Pitt. And obviously Brad Pitt was an absolute nobody at this point. So Rebecca is living the life of a pretty successful person in Hollywood. And even though she had a pretty glamorous lifestyle, she wasn't really a fan of that. Often she just preferred quiet nights in her apartment where she would just hang out with friends, do some yoga, write poetry. And then it was the summer of 1987 that Robert Bardot bought a Greyhound bus ticket and made the 10-hour journey from Arizona to Hollywood. He didn't know where Rebecca lived at this point, so he just turned up at the Warner Brothers studio, which is where My Sister Sam was being filmed. And when he arrived at the studios, he arrived with a bunch of flowers and then this five foot tall teddy bear. He walks up to the gates and the security guards see him with this huge bear and think, okay, um, he may cause us some problems. Like he looks like kind of a crazed fan. So Robert approaches the security guards and he says, I'm here to see Rebecca Schaefer. He tells the security guards that Rebecca knows who he is and she would want to see him. He even pulls out the letter that Rebecca sent to him and said, look, she knows who I am. Like, look, let me in. The security guards are obviously well-trained. They know that Robert doesn't know Rebecca and Rebecca doesn't want to see him. So the guards turn him away. Robert is absolutely devastated and he is forced to return back to Arizona. When Robert returned home, he was not happy at all. He was in an absolute foul mood. He bombarded the Warner Brothers studio with phone calls demanding to speak to Rebecca. And obviously the studios wouldn't let him talk to Rebecca. And he was thinking, what the hell is going on? Rebecca cares about me. She would want to speak to me. Why are Warner Brothers Studios trying to keep us apart? So a month later, Robert returns to the Warner Brothers studio, but this time he has a knife in his back. Robert demanded to see Rebecca, but the security guards were like, look, that is not going to happen. Luckily, Robert decided to not use the knife because obviously he could have done a lot of damage if he had. And the security guards recognized him from the first time he had visited. And one of the security guards took him into the office and had a little heart to heart with him. And he told Robert, he was like, listen, you need to move on. You and Rebecca are not going to work. I think he was kind of playing into Robert's story. And Robert miraculously seemed to listen. He was like, yeah, you know what? You're right. I need to move on. Robert then thanked the guards and went on his way back to Arizona. So when Robert did return home from this second trip, he actually listened to the security guard and he tried to move on. He took down all of the pictures on the wall of Rebecca. He tried his best to forget about her, like he wouldn't be buying every single magazine that she was in. And what possibly made it easier for Robert to move on from Rebecca as well is that My Sister Sam was actually cancelled halfway through their second season. So because Robert wasn't seeing Rebecca on his TV every week, this definitely helped him move on but he didn't change his ways because he started to become obsessed with other celebrities. Like he became obsessed with Madonna, uh, Tiffany, Debbie Gibson. Those were just a few of his obsessions. And again, he would get pictures of them, stick them all over his walls. He would write them letters. He went to their concerts. He even tried to rush the stage at one of their concerts. So even though he's moved on from Rebecca, his behavior has not changed at all. So meanwhile, Rebecca has obviously lost a job now because my sister Sam has been canceled. So Rebecca is trying her best to 
find more work. She's going on lots and lots of auditions. It's actually reported that Rebecca was so close to being cast as the lead role in Pretty Woman. But obviously, Julia Roberts got the role. And it's just crazy when you think about it that one role can literally change everything. Because Pretty Woman, I don't think it was Julia Roberts' first acting job, but it was definitely the job that catapulted her into A-list celebrity status. And Julia Roberts and Rebecca were very similar. They were only nine days apart in age. Rebecca didn't give up. She was going on auditions all the time. And she actually did land a role in a film called Scenes from the Class Struggle in Beverly Hills. This role was a slightly different role for Rebecca because her whole career, she'd always played the girl next door, the sweet, innocent one, the charming one. But this role in in this new film that she had, it was a slightly edgier character. And when Robert heard that Rebecca was gonna be in this new film, even though he was trying to forget about her, he could not help it and he was first in line to buy tickets to see the movie. But when Robert watched the movie, he was absolutely shocked. Like I said, Rebecca had always played these very innocent, charming girl next door characters. But in this new film, she was slightly edgier and she had a love scene shock horror and Robert was absolutely outraged. He nearly fell out of his seat when he saw it for the first time. He saw Rebecca as this sweet innocent girl and when he watched this love scene he felt like Rebecca was cheating on him. He was heartbroken. He was angry. He thought that Rebecca had changed in an instant and he didn't like it. In Robert's mind she had gone from this very sweet innocent girl to what he called quote another Hollywood whore that would just use sex to get to the top. And Robert felt very strongly about this, like very, very strongly. He hated seeing what he saw as promiscuous women on the TV. And as soon as Robert returned home from seeing the movie, he wrote Rebecca another letter where he called her, quote, Miss Nudie two shoes. This was the turning point for Robert. Everything changed from here. He was still obsessed with Rebecca. However, the obsession where it was love before, now it had changed into hate. Robert wrote a letter to his sister about Rebecca where he said, quote, if I can't have her, no one can. And at this point as well, Robert's behavior had become very erratic. He was arrested on three separate occasions for various domestic charges. And then in June of 1989, Robert was reading a People magazine where he found an article that would change everything. The article described how the actress Teresa Saldana had become victim to an obsessed Fan. This fan's name was Arthur Jackson. Arthur became obsessed with Teresa after watching her in a movie and then after that he became so obsessed with her he stalked her before tracking down her address and attacking her. Thankfully Teresa survived this attack but Robert was reading this article and he related to Arthur. In the article as well it said that Arthur was able to get Teresa's address by hiring a private investigator. And this got Robert's mind turning. He was like, okay, maybe this is what I need to do. Maybe I need to go pay Rebecca a visit and I can find out her home address by hiring a private investigator. Robert pulled out the phone directory, found the first private investigator he could, phoned them up and told them that he wanted the address of a woman called Rebecca Schaefer. Believe it or not, 
it actually worked. The private investigator was able to get Rebecca's address. Unbelievably, back in 1989, anyone in California could have gone to the DMV, the Department of Motor Vehicles, pay a small fee and get the personal information, which includes address, for anyone. And when I read this, I was like, are you being serious? What? How was that ever allowed. Thankfully, you can't do that anymore. That is how the private investigator was able to get Rebecca's address. He just went to the DMV, paid, I think it was like $5, and he was able to get Rebecca's address. So now Robert had Rebecca's address and he started to put his plan in motion. Meanwhile, back in Rebecca's life, things were actually looking up. She was picking up more work. She was also in a pretty serious relationship. Her boyfriend was an up and coming director. His name was Brad Silberling and he would go on to direct Casper. I know, I was obsessed with that film when I was younger. And the two of them were falling hard for one another. They were in a very serious relationship and they were having conversations about their future and that they were going to get engaged. And then just to top it all off, Rebecca was about to audition for an important role in Godfather 3, which obviously was a huge, huge opportunity for her. She saw this as, oh my God, this is my big break. But unfortunately, Robert Bardo would soon arrive in California and change everything. Robert is currently at home back in Arizona and he's listening to a U2 song called Exit, a song which is described as portraying the mind of a psychotic killer. And apparently Robert started to see the song as telling him what to do. Robert was not able to buy a gun, so he asked his brother to buy one for him, which his brother did. Then on the evening of Monday the 17th of July 1989, Robert got an overnight Greyhound bus from Arizona to California and tucked in his bag was a gun. So the next morning, which was Tuesday the 18th of July, Rebecca Schaefer got up extra early because she was expecting a script for her audition for Godfather 3. Her audition for Godfather 3 was also on that Tuesday, so she was super excited for this day. Her buzzer went on her apartment building and she was so excited because she was like, Oh my God, this must be the courier with my script. So she rushes to the door. She answers the door, but it wasn't the courier with the script. It was Robert Barder. And I think as soon as Rebecca opened that door, I think she instantly regretted it because she knew that, oh my God, this is like a crazed, obsessed fan. But instead of being rude, shutting the door, she put a smile on her face and she was really kind and polite to Robert. She said to Robert that she really appreciates all his support, but then she did also say to him that it was inappropriate that he turned up at her home and that he should leave, which is a pretty reasonable response. I feel like most people would have probably just slammed the door in his face, but Rebecca wasn't like that. And after this encounter, Robert was so shocked. He couldn't believe that Rebecca didn't really want to talk to him. Robert went to a nearby diner. He ordered onion rings and cheesecake and he just kept thinking over and over again, what the hell happened? Why didn't she want to talk to me? Why doesn't she care about me? Robert phoned up his sister to vent about his frustrations about Rebecca. Robert told his sister that he was only a couple of blocks from her house and that he was on a mission to stop Rebecca from becoming a quote, adult fornicating screen whore. Robert also told his sister, you're going to hear something about me soon, which is honestly 
so creepy. Like it really is. After you know what happens in this case, the fact that he was so cold about it, oh, it's just disgusting. At Rebecca's apartment, Rebecca went to have a shower. She went to move on from this strange encounter with the fan. I mean, she had a lot to do that day. She was going to have an amazing day and she didn't want to let that crazed fan ruin it. So when she got out of the shower, her buzzer went again. And immediately in her head, she was like, this is the script. She went down to open the door, but again, it was Robert Bardo. This time, Rebecca lost her patience, which I don't blame her. And she told Robert that he needed to leave. He was wasting her time and she didn't want to deal with this. But Robert would not walk away. He pulled out his gun. He then grabbed Rebecca's arm so she couldn't get away. But Rebecca was screaming, why, why? But this did not change Robert's mind. He pointed the gun at her chest and pulled the trigger. Then Robert fled the scene. Rebecca collapsed onto the floor. A neighbor who had heard the whole thing came running to help her. An ambulance was called and Rebecca was rushed to the hospital. But tragically, it was too late. Rebecca Schaefer passed away shortly after she arrived at the hospital, which is just so sad. She was only 21 years old at the time she was murdered. She was so young. That's a baby. She had her whole life ahead of her and she had already achieved so much and she was on the path to achieve so much with her life. It's just so incredibly sad. Not long after the news broke that Rebecca Schaefer had been murdered on her doorstep, the whole of Hollywood was absolutely devastated. Everyone was devastated. One person that was watching the news was Robert's sister. And when she saw what had happened to Rebecca and after the phone call she'd had with Robert, she was like, oh my God, it was Robert. And Robert's sister immediately phoned 911 to report her brother. When the police received the call from Robert's sister, they immediately started the search for Robert. But it didn't take too long for the police to find him because the police were already receiving phone calls about an incident involving a troubled looking man running back and forth in front of traffic in the middle of an LA freeway. And this man, of course, was Robert Bardo. The police immediately arrived and arrested him for the murder of Rebecca Schaefer. Robert was unable to make the $1 million bail, so he was held in custody until his trial started two years later. At the trial, a video was played of Robert where he chillingly described his feelings of Rebecca and the murder. She's like very accessible, horrible type of and very innocent, very charming. hope for Robert's defense team was to argue that Robert should be found guilty of only second degree murder by reason of insanity. They tried to argue that Robert was driven to murder because of the U2 song he was listening to. I'm not even shocked anymore. I'm really not. It's like, did they really try and blame it on a song? Ugh. They even played the song in court uh, to show the jury, to show the court the lyrics and everything. <laughs> 
Robert's reaction to the song is, it's definitely disturbing because the whole trial, Robert didn't really show any emotion. He didn't really say anything. He didn't really move. But as soon as they played this song, you can see him like really getting into this song. He's like bobbing his head as if he's just driving down the road. However, the prosecution were having none of this because they knew that if he was found guilty of second degree murder, this only carried a sentence of eight years. And they were like, no way. He needs to be found guilty of first degree murder. And the prosecutor on this case was Marsha Clark. And I'm sure most of you know who Marsha Clark is because she's a very famous prosecutor, but she was the prosecutor on the OJ Simpson case. And Marsha did her best to argue that Robert was of sane mind when he committed the murder, that it was premeditated and he should be found guilty of first degree murder. He loaded the empty chamber, put the gun in his waistband, went to the door, rang the buzzer, stepped back and waited until Rebecca Schaefer came out onto the porch, grabbed her arm, grabbed his gun from behind him and fired. And the jury agreed and Robert was found guilty of first degree murder and sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. And I gotta say, I do agree with the jury. It was definitely premeditated. I mean, there was so much planning involved in that murder. But I also think that he was of sane mind. I do think he is struggling with his mental health in some way. I think he was diagnosed as bipolar, but I do think he was of sane mind at the time of the murder. I mean, the footage of him in the courtroom where he's reacting to the U2 song, where he's rocking back and forth, that is definitely weird. I'll give you that. And when I watched that for the first time, it reminded me of how a child would react to a situation like that. You know how a child doesn't always know, okay, this is not the right situation to be reacting like this? Would it kind of seem like that? Because any adult would think, okay, I'm in a courtroom here on trial for murder. I probably shouldn't dance. But a child might not think like that. At least that's what I thought. But I still think that he was of same mind at the time of the murder. I mean, there was just too much planning involved. It was too premeditated. And as you can imagine, this case had a huge impact on everyone. It had a huge impact on Hollywood because people were like, how can a crazed fan be allowed to just get that close to Rebecca and murder her? How was he allowed to track down her home address and just turn up? And even though this is an absolutely heartbreaking case, some good did come out of this case. First of all, a law was passed to prevent the Department of Motor Vehicles, the DMV, from releasing personal details, including home addresses of the people on their database, which was about time. I couldn't believe that they used to do that. But not only that, the murder of Rebecca prompted California to make America's first anti-stalking law. Also, film studios in Hollywood had to rethink how they were going to keep their TV stars, their movie stars safe. And since the murder of Rebecca, security in Hollywood has increased. But the main takeaway from this case is how heartbreaking it is. How heartbreaking it is that Rebecca was taken far too soon. I mean, she was only 21 years old. I think it's very easy to forget how young she was because she achieved so much. Hundreds of mourners attended her funeral in Oregon, including her mom, her 
her dad and her boyfriend Brad, who broke down in tears when he said Rebecca was, quote, the most sparkling soul who I wanted to spend my life with. Brad later directed and released a movie dedicated to Rebecca called Moonlight Mile, which portrays a young man grieving the death of his fiance. And obviously, it's so tragic to think about Rebecca's life and the life that she should have had. On the day of her murder, she was going to audition for Godfather 3. She was on track to become one of the next biggest actresses in Hollywood. And who knows where her life would have gone. And she was such a kind hearted soul because in her spare time she always gave back to the community. She always tried to help out with various charities and I just know that she would have done so much good in this world and it's just so incredibly sad. And my heart really does go out to Rebecca's parents. I don't know how you can ever recover from a loss like that. And that brings us to the end of the episode on Robert Bardo. There are no updates on this episode. So thank you so much, everyone, for listening today. Subscribe or follow to make sure you never miss an episode of The Criminal Makeup. And if you enjoy the show, it would mean a lot if you could leave a review. In the meantime, if you've been affected by any of the themes in this episode, please take the time to look at the description for this episode for some helpful resources. Special thanks to my producers at Audio Boom Studios, and I'll see you all in the next one.